Okay. Today, my guest is Professor Esther Tipman. I'll keep my introduction short to maximize our time with her. In the next 30 minutes or so, we'll talk about Esther as a person, Professor Tipman is a thought leader and an esteemed scholar, and finally as a mentor to many PhD students and junior faculty. For the sake of time, I'll skip many of her accomplishments and give you a very quick snapshot. Professor Tipman's research is on strategic cha challenges of internationally operating organizations, including multinational corporations and high growth ventures. She has published extensively in our top journals, such as JIBS, Org Studies, Journal of World Business, Journal of Management Studies, Global Strategy Journal, Harvard Business Review, and Sloan Management Review, among others. She received several awards and nominations from AOM, AIB, and SMS. She also received the Best Paper or Best Reviewer Award at JIBS, Journal of World Business, and AIB UK Ireland Chapter. Esther currently serves as senior editor for the Journal of uh, World Business and sits on editorial boards of JIPS and Long Range Planning. She held a uh, Marie Curie Fellowship funded by the European Commission and Irish Research Council. Thank you, Esther, for joining us. Thank you, Ilgaard. I'm delighted to be with you today. Uh, Esther, thank you. Uh, Esther, uh, what did you want to become when you were a child? Yeah, it's, it's a really good uh, question, and it's probably not one you ponder about a lot unless you're being asked to reflect back over your childhood. And I don't think I had a lot of set aspirations, but I recall at some stage I was thinking about becoming a pilot. And I suppose that made me also think that in the context of, I mean, today's discussion, right, as, as an, an IB scholar, or I'm invited as, as an IB scholar, um, I thought maybe it had to do with this opportunity it offers to explore the world, maybe to travel. So I, I perhaps had a somewhat naive uh, view on being a pilot and as a child, but I think it's good I didn't choose it as a career path because I don't think I would pass the eye test anymore. But <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was told uh, at my last eye visit. But anyhow, yeah, it's a pilot at some stage. Can you remember the earliest moment of awareness between foreign versus domestic? Yeah, actually, they go back early um, into my childhood. Um, so I, I'm, I'm a German German national. I grew up um, in Germany. Obviously, now I'm, I'm based in, in Ireland. But in fact, um, I grew up in East Germany. Um, so during the Cold War times and before the war, the, the Berlin Wall came down and Germany reunited. So I suppose memories of borders. Um, differences, ideological differences in that case, I mean, around the Cold War um, at that time. Also around imported goods, funny enough. I mean, um, obviously we had everything um, that, we, that we needed, but imported goods were something special for us um, at, at that time, especially imported goods, let's say, from the US or from West Germany, right? I mean, that was something very, very special, very rare, bananas. <laughs> so I have memories, I have memories, um, it got to me as a child eating a banana and it said like bite by bite and it probably took me, I don't know, it felt like eating it for an hour right? <laughs> because it was something really, really treasured, um, really, really um, rare that we didn't get often. Obviously you don't need bananas, right? But it, it had that association of being something really special. Yeah, and obviously also have memories of the wall coming down, reunification. So also maybe in a broader sense about movement of people um, across borders then and in that sense. Um, yeah, so a lot of memories. Obviously, as a child, I didn't think about it in an IB context. But I, I think, yeah, definitely domestic, foreign, um, international business, international relations. So it was probably something that imprinted on me from quite early on. Uh, 
interesting. I mean, I, I remember the same, almost the, the same story. Uh, it was not bananas, it was kiwi. <laughs> I don't even like kiwis. It's just, uh, we actually made a specific, special trip to the store just to see what it looks like. Uh, I, mean, I do remember as a child, and they said, oh, this is coming from such and such place. Exactly, uh, exactly. I mean, any kind of tropical fruits, right? I was probably exposed to when I was <laughs> <laughs> quite an old child, right? So yeah, something, in fact, kiwi, I didn't even know how to eat it. Uh, we were like, honestly, <laughs> I was like, do I need to eat it with the skin? Do I just eat it in a part? How do I eat a kiwi? Yeah, absolutely. Now people just Google it on YouTube. There's uh, how to do do certain things, right? At the yeah, time, there wasn't there was Google nothing. at that time. Yeah. There wasn't a Google at that time, guess. That's right. So uh, it is quite interesting. So Esther, uh, how did you choose academia? And uh, within academia, how did you choose international business? Yeah, so it was probably something that I stumbled uh, into, at least the academic career. I think this IB angle has been with me for some time. I mean, in, in terms of my um, um, education, so to speak, my my, uh, my higher um, my higher education. So even as my undergrad. Uh, degree I chose um, intercultural management so again something very at the heart um, of IB and I think back then I didn't understand much about business management I, mm -hmm. I mean honestly it wasn't of the business and management that I chose it but again because of that international dimension and I thought well in that naive as I was at that time if I get to work for an international organization I get all these great international opportunities mm -hmm. um, maybe to, to travel again and to to see different places of the world and have exposure to IB in, in, a, in a broad sense. So I think that's what appeared to me at that time. It continued for my postgraduate, again, a master's in international business and also for my uh, PhD topic, obviously. Um, academic career, again, I was quite naive, probably <laughs> starting out or choosing um, even to do a PhD. I was expecting a friend of mine who said, oh, you know, there's some PhD scholarships uh, up for grasps. I think you, you may be good at it. I got offered a scholarship um, naively enough, I suppose at the time I, 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 I took it and um, it worked out for me, it worked out for me, but I, I probably would find that I should have done a little bit more research right around what it means to be a scholar or an academic. If you could do it all over again, what's the second best career path for you? Yeah, I, now I think about in terms of the impact um, that a career can have, I think medicine appeals to me because it's mm. about saving lives. Obviously, we're trying to have a good impact on business and society and organizations as um, scholars in management or international business. But I think this immediate impact uh, that um, medics can have or people in, a, in the medical profession, I think that's something that appeals to me. I have Thank a little you. challenge though, I can't see blood. I'm not good at seeing blood. So I, I don't think it's a viable option, but I think if I, if I was capable, <laughs> I think it would appear to me, yeah. But after seeing so many, you get this interest, uh, you lose the sensitivity to, to it. So you would be actually even be a surgeon. <laughs> uh, maybe, so, maybe. So uh, regrets about, uh, what kind of a person are you uh, mm -hmm. about this uh, do you, do you consider, I should have done this, I should have done that? Do you second guess yourself? Not much, to be honest, Ilgaz. I tend to be more one that looks at opportunities that might be coming down the line. Um, mm. I, I tend to be more forward-looking than backward-looking. Um, in that sense, also, I don't have regrets. I mean, maybe there were things 
maybe that didn't go as, as smooth as I had hoped, but then, you know, I took them as learning and, and um, move on. No, I, I don't think I have regrets, no. Interesting. About, uh, what are you most proud of? Yeah, my family. Um, yeah. yeah, I have to say, yeah, so, so my uh, husband and two two kids. Um, so yeah, no, they keep me busy. I think we love hanging out together, lots of fun together. Um, I also think it's, I mean, a great source of support, a great source of energy also, I think, and, and generally balance. I mean, obviously we have busy careers as, as academics, so it's nice to have that anchor and that support and this really fun place, uh, fun environment in my life. So yeah, and I'm really grateful for that. And that would be yeah, where I've spent a lot of my passion. What are you most passionate about? When it comes to my family, do you mean? Or you in know, general. I, you know, I I I I think I like, as I said, it's it's mostly my family that I would feel strongly about and most passionate about. Okay. And and then obviously it's it's I mean look I think academics oftentimes we are in love with with our research right I mean that probably somewhat goes without saying, but I would see it a second I would see it a second compared to my to my family. Interesting. Uh, something that is not on your CV but you think people might find interesting about you. Yeah, so it, um, when I was younger, I did gymnastics, so um, so I was quite passionate about it. Um, not that I was particularly good, but you know, I, I enjoyed it. Um, and and also, you know, as you ask it or ask about it, I also was reflecting maybe how it relates maybe to a scholarly career, perhaps, or generally an academic career. And I, I was thinking maybe one thing is also then I had a coaching license. So, you know, I did it myself, but I was also a coach. So I think maybe again, there was maybe some kind of inclination, right? Or some kind of initial training to help me with an academic career going forward. Coaching in what? Gymnastics. Okay, okay. Yeah, 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 when I was younger, yeah. So exactly, um, so so I did that. Um, I mean, yeah, as I said, I enjoyed it myself doing the gymnastics, but I was also a coach. Um, as I said, nothing too exciting in terms of level or, you know, nothing in terms of maybe being at a very high level, but, but just generally, you know, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the um, engagement with, with the club, with the team, with the kids. Um, but I also felt, you know, you know looking back um, at doing gymnastics, you know, you have to perform your routine and you're out on, on a stage, so to speak, and you're, um, you're being judged and you're being <laughs> subjected in a sense to a peer review. You know, you get a score you get feedback and maybe you know and and you have to learn to take it on board and live with it and sometimes it's good feedback sometimes not so good so again I think maybe just there's maybe something as opposed to help me also um, getting used to maybe later in an academic career to peer review right not to take it too personal to take the good things out of it to iterate maybe on things until they get better um sure. yeah so maybe that's Something I, I just tried to see maybe some parallels here um, in terms of maybe some early, early, ex earlier experiences and how they maybe helped me with an IB career or a scholarly career. True, true. But the feedback is almost immediate, right? Right after the performance, they give you eight points, nine points. Uh, with the review process, it's months, uh, years. Sure, you know, for sure it's longer. Um, with the review process, I think. You can open that email in a closed room 
And if it's bad feedback, you can do whatever you <laughs> want with it, right? Nobody will see you. When you're out there competing and you get your score, you have to be, I try to be, you know what I mean? In the moment, react profe- somewhat sure. professionally to sure. it. And, 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 you know, still act on it and going back to the gym and trying to improve. Um. Yeah. So maybe, maybe the, yeah, maybe the timing things work slightly differently. But I think maybe yeah, this uh, having this opportunity for us to digest it at our own pace and absorb sure. it in our own pace in our own way that can also be useful because I think we all know you know when we get maybe a review that wasn't a positive, it might take a, a few days, a few weeks, sure. to to sure. sink in. Point. Uh, Esther, how do you explain your research to people who don't read? Our academic journals regularly to people on the street, say you're uh, stranded in a small village, people don't know anything about you. And why do you, how, how do you explain the importance of your research to these people? Yeah, no, no, sure. Uh, I suppose it's something we do struggle with sometimes, don't we? I mean, we have to explain it to family, friends, and maybe also others. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, most of my recent research is in the context of digital businesses. So, typically, what I would um, start out is by saying, look, you know, I research obviously digital firms, they're the ones that are born born on the internet. And obviously a lot of companies now that are born on the internet and become large international organizations quite quickly. So there's definitely opportunities and benefits for them to internationalize, but also a lot of those companies fail. So really what I'm trying to do is, you know, I try to understand how leaders and managers can make their international organizations um, successful. And then, you know, specifically within that, I would be interested in the international offices, you know, what contribution they they can make to the success of the organization. But also, I suppose, just trying to think generally, I suppose, around the the, the pacing uh, and the speed of their scaling internationally, because by being born on the internet, um, you have immediate international reach, and it seems easy to become a global international uh, powerhouse. But a lot of firms fail or it doesn't go smooth for them. So, again, you know, really trying to help uh, leaders and managers on that journey. Thank you. About uh, things that we should have done more of, things that we have neglected in IB research, uh, omitted variables, omitted concepts, contexts, constructs. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think, I mean, generally, probably in IB, um, we do a lot of um, firm level uh, research. We do a lot of research, perhaps also built on um, second secondary data, um, oftentimes and not a primary data collection. So I suppose where my passion lies with is often with case study type of research. So really going into the organizations and really understanding the nuts and bolts, the mechanisms of how these things work or don't work. Um, That's maybe, I suppose, somewhat a personal preference, but I think in general, um, reflecting more widely on IB, I think there are a lot of opportunities and I'm just really unpacking the mechanisms um, in in detail to go more micro level, if we wanna use um, that label, for example. And then obviously we have a lot of new phenomena out there. I mean, even with COVID, I mean, there's so many new interesting uh, questions that need to be answered around the right organizational model. What's the best way of leveraging remote hybrid um, opportunities to hire anywhere now uh, around the globe? What is it the right thing to do? How to, uh, you know, how to make it work? 
So it, a lot of a lot of questions, even new sure. questions, new phenomena that need exploring. Sure. Um, about the next five to ten years of the field, uh, what are some of the topics that you think we'll see uh, in growing numbers? Uh, especially for the PhD students to uh, think about uh, pursuing? Yes, yeah, so I, I generally think uh, with the acceleration of digitalization, artificial intelligence, machine learning, I mean, generally these kind of technological uh, trends, they're offering great, um, great opportunities. Again, I think where we wouldn't, don't have done enough yet is to really understand, I mean, digital firms often we're um, not differentiating a lot yet. I think in IB research, we're kind of, okay, we know digitalization enables international business activity, but to really un un unpack that for different types of um, digital firms to unpack that really, how, how that really works under what condition that is, and under what condition that really holds. So I think there's a lot of um, scope here. Then I also already alluded, I suppose, to maybe the post COVID world. I mean, we know we're not gonna go back to the same, um, so what are the remote working models, the hybrid organizational models, and what is the IB dimension within that? Um, and then it has all kinds of coordination control questions, really, um, knowledge recombination, innovation questions. I mean, really, it, it, these kind of new ways how um, multinationals, international organizations can operate, they stretch, I think, across really some core and central questions um, that IB scholars would traditionally um, de deal with. I also think uh, geopolitics and particularly forces the push maybe against um, international business activity um, mm -hmm. that, that we see. Um, and most, most recently, for example, I suppose um, the, the war, unfortunate war in, in Ukraine. So, you know, the, yeah, the, again, a lot of um, interesting questions there, I think, where we can, um, um, yeah. Yeah, a lot of interesting questions that can be explored further. Thank you. Uh, how does the process for uh, for your work, for uh, coming up with creative ideas, uh, when you're sitting idle, how does the, the process in the uh, creation of new papers come for you? I take it most of my inspiration from practitioners, I have to say. So I really try to say, I mean, my my research is at the intersection of IB strategies or global strategy. So I really try to stay attuned to the latest developments with uh, the top managers or senior managers in international organization would speak about what, what, what keeps them awake. So I try yeah. to start there if at all possible. And obviously I'm based in Ireland, so we have a huge FDI presence, um, in particular North American firms. So most of the large US tech firms would have major international operations here, uh, like significant number of employees, strategic headquarters, European headquarters, global headquarters. So we also have a good level of support, I suppose, uh, in terms of getting access to organization. Um, it's so there's a great, there's a great and very vibrant, I suppose, FDI community here with very senior leaders who have very good insights in, into those kind of issues and very, very, very well connected into those networks. So that's really where I take um, my my inspiration from. Okay. Uh, for the sake of time, I'm going to get to the advice mentoring portion. Who was your advisor going through the PhD program? 
So sorry, what advice I would... Who was your advisor when you were going through the PhD program? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So I had uh, Professor Pamela Sharkey-Scott and Professor Vincent Marshmartin as uh, PhD advisors. And what was the best advice you received when you were going through the programs or so? I, I um, and I that I have to listen, <laughs> listen as in, <laughs> listen as in, being able to work from, um, from, to, to to try to really get most out of feedback that I receive. So sometimes you know when senior scholars as a PhD student give you feedback. It might take quite some time to digest it because there's so much tacit knowledge involved when senior scholars give you feedback. Mm -hmm. And I think that was what was meant. It wasn't that I don't listen per se, but it was like, it will take you some time to, to really understand and to really digest what is meant with that feedback. And there's so much great support out there. Like, you know, if you go to PhD uh, consortia or paper development workshops, you can really pick up important advice and senior scholars are very quick to pick up on the key key things that maybe that, that you need to improve upon but it may maybe may not be so easy for you as a phd student studying not to decipher what is really meant so i think it was meant in that context to spend mm -hmm. a lot of time trying to digest it to mm -hmm. understand and to hear what they're saying yeah. um, so, so in your opinion which skills are most difficult to develop uh, at least for you, which skills were more difficult for you to develop and it took time to, to let it sink? So you meant for me when I was a yeah. PhD student? Um, I mean, that, that, I mean, that takes, you know, I think generally PhD is a demanding journey. I mean, you have to, there's a lot of things that are going on, right? I mean, you have to get on top of theory, you have to get on top of methods, and you have to understand um, academia generally, you know, how to play the game, if that makes sense, or what, what, you know, what kind of critical steps you may have to take to set you up um, in, in a good way. So it's, I think it's, it's hugely demanding what uh, we require or what is asked of a PhD student um, in a quite short amount of time. And also, at least in Europe, traditionally would be seen as a sort of an apprenticeship type of thing. But nowadays you do an apprenticeship, but you're meant to come up with a masterpiece, nearly, right? Like something that can be published in a top tier journal. I mean, I know it's a strong analogy, but you're on that trajectory, ideally, right? That you come up with something that is publishable in a really high quality um, outlet. So I think probably, yeah, so I found that's probably, that, I think that generally that that journey in, in itself is demanding. But as I said, I think there's a lot of goodwill out there and a lot of support. And it, it's maybe your mentors, it's your PhD friends, it's the international network that you start to build um, on your own. And if you use that wisely, I, can, I think it can really enable you. Um, as a PhD student to set you up for success. What are some of the common mistakes that you see junior faculty or PhD students uh, make uh, and things that you say you should not do? Yeah, so I think generally, I think one thing that is also important and maybe that also relates to perhaps what not to do is I think it's important, I've, I found at least for myself that you're really passionate about the topic. Hmm. You know, that you're really, really interested into it. If it's maybe you being handed with a PhD topic 
or you um, joining, being invited to join a project, but you, your, your heart and soul isn't into it, I think it can be really draining on you emotionally and in terms of your own e energy, right? Because we spend a lot of time with it and it's not just for your PhD, really. Like, you know, it's, it's like nearly career trajectory, at least for a couple of years that you're starting to build and want to leverage as a, from as, as a platform for you, you know, your first couple of years in your career, at least. So I think that having a true sense of passion that you really think yeah that excites me I think that will carry and sustain you and help with a lot of things because I think a lot in our career is about resilience and perseverance true true um, does it change uh, for mid-career people do these uh, things change for mid-career people advice uh, different perspective um not so much um I, I, maybe then your independence as a scholar perhaps becomes more important i mean obviously at the start you know your advisors and supervisors may help you with introductions or your co-author um but then obviously you're yeah, building your research independence probably becomes a, a logical next step sure, sure. but um but I don't think it goes away that you have to be passionate about it, that you need a good support network. I mean, I know I don't think that will go away. Perhaps you're adding something onto it. That's perhaps how I would think about it. Uh, Esther, is there a question that I should have asked you but haven't? Sorry? Is there a question I should have asked you but haven't? Oh, um, I think we've covered a lot. Um, I know I really enjoyed, really enjoyed um, our conversation. Had great fun, as I um, as I said to you earlier, listening back to some of the other scholars, and meeting some of the other scholars. I suppose for a second time, nearly right, listening to the to the to the talks. So I think it's a wonderful initiative, um, and I'm I'm proud to be part of it. Thank you. Uh, it was uh, very helpful for me. It was uh, interesting for me. I'm sure the audience will agree with uh, with, with it. Uh, Esther, thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much, Erika. Um, all the best. Thank you.